Welcome to the St. Richard's Podcast Sermon of the Week. This week's message is given by the Reverend Mike Wyckoff. For more information, please visit us at strichards.org. When Jesus was born at Bethlehem, Matthew says that the wise men, or the magi, from which we get the words magician, showed up from the east bearing gifts. And we remember this remarkable story in the gospel lesson I have just read. And of course, we also know that our custom of Yuletide gift giving dates back to these magi and to the gifts that they gave the infant Jesus. Specifically, Matthew says that after their long journey from the east, they finally arrived in Bethlehem led by the star. And then comes verse 11, here again. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, those seem like very strange gifts to give a baby. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Some scholars have speculated that the gifts of the Magi may have been, if you will, tricks of the trade, the elements used in their magic. And so they were thereby demonstrating that they were no longer pagans dabbling in magic, but now they were bowing before the one true God. Maybe so. Others, scholars, speculate that these gifts were kind of a symbolic foreshadowing of what life for this infant would be like. Gold is a gift for kings. Frankincense and myrrh were used in embalming the dead. They were used at that time as perfumes to dress up a corpse. And so these three gifts then would foreshadow the dark end that the infant would one day meet on the cross. Well, maybe so. But today I'm really impressed with what I would call the useless gifts that were given to this baby. Because we have a poor, poor baby born to a poor peasant mother, soon to be on the run as refugees in Egypt and they are presented with a lump of gold and a couple of bottles of perfume. And that just seems odd to me. Perhaps you've heard of that old joke. Do you know what would have happened if there had been three wise women instead of three wise men? Perhaps some of you have heard that joke. The three wise women would have asked for directions arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, clean the stable, make a casserole, and certainly brought more practical gifts like diapers. <laughs> Maybe so. In any case, not only were the magi impractical and practice magical arts and of questionable background, they were Gentiles. 
and their Gentile race is something that is very, very significant here in this story. Why is that? Because Matthew is saying that these Gentiles were the very first ones to come to Bethlehem, the very first ones to worship Jesus as the Savior of the world. And that is absolutely shocking in the sense that Matthew is by far the most Jewish of the four Gospels. It is Matthew who tirelessly quotes the Hebrew scriptures to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah, the fulfillment of the hope of Israel, that Jesus is the Savior, the one who has come for us all. And yet Matthew opens his account of this very Jewish Messiah by noting that the insiders who knew the scriptures, who were the recipients of all of the promises of God, they're the ones who missed it. They weren't there. The Jews were absent. And furthermore, three Gentiles who knew nothing of scripture, who are of the wrong race and the wrong religion, they're the first ones to come to the manger. And so you see, by having these magi right at the front, at the beginning of the story, Matthew wants to tell us something about the nature of Jesus. That this infant, this Messiah sent to save the world is not our sole possession. He is not our people's property. He is Lord of all. He is the Savior of even though the Magi may not have known everything about him and knew even less about the scriptures and are confused about a number of issues, they do know this, that this is our baby too. And so they did what they had to do. They worshiped him. My friends, if we in the church think that Jesus is only for us, only for the insiders in the know, then maybe it is we who have misunderstood rather than them. Because the one who lies in that Bethlehem manger is the Lord of all. Later in Matthew's gospel, it's told a wonderful story about a great banquet in which a man invites all of his friends and all of his family members to a marvelous feast. And do you remember the reaction to this wonderful invitation? They all made excuses. One had a field to inspect. Another had just bought an ox. Someone was recently married. And so in great anger, this determined host instructed his servants to go into the highways and byways and to invite everyone to the feast. And he was sincere in his request. He meant everyone. Jesus says that is the kingdom of God. A bunch of riffraff who would not be caught dead seen, much less partying with, and yet here we are all eating at the master's table. And nevertheless, something about us keeps getting confused here. We keep thinking that the church is for us. Just for people who think like us. 
But Jesus said that there are still sheep who are not of this fold. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God as a place where the net is cast wide. There's all kinds of fish, good and bad, to draw in. He even told about a farmer who had a field in which both the wheat and the weeds grow together. You see, things in God's kingdom are never as neat as we would like for them to be. I mean, there are just outsiders everywhere that just keep showing up. There are weird people who keep hearing their name being called by Jesus. And so just when we, maybe it's just myself here, just when we, I think it's all nailed down and all figured out, we insiders are shocked to find out that we probably missed it. That there are those whom we labeled as outsiders who just may understand the kingdom better than us insiders. A few years ago, many years ago, when I served as the rector of a downtown church in Temple, Texas, Christ Episcopal, the vestry and I decided to get serious. And so we hired an evangelism consultant, but we never used the word evangelism because we're Episcopalians. We used the word church growth, church growth consultant. And the first thing that this church growth consultant did was have us look at our church as if we were an outsider, a visitor, coming to Christ Episcopal for the very first time. So the first thing we did was we got up out of our chairs and we did a tour of the city block in which our church was located. And the vestry and I discovered some very interesting things about ourselves. For one thing, we noted that it was very challenging to find the front door of the church. Now, of course, we all knew where the front of the church was located, but if you were visiting the church for the first time, you probably could not find the front door. And even worse, there's probably little chance for you to even find the church offices. And if you did, you could never possibly locate the restroom. I mean, there were no signs, thus no attempt to help new people to find their way. And so in the course of this day, in the afternoon, we learned many other painful things about the way that we had unintentionally but nevertheless powerfully excluded outsiders. You see, we had become a cozy church for the insiders, those who knew where the doors were located. Today I want us to look at these strange magi who showed up as if out of nowhere to worship the infant at Bethlehem. And even though they knew very little about the Messiah, all that he was supposed to be, all that his birth meant, they did know this, that a great and glorious truth had been given to the world, that Jesus is the light of the whole world, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will never, ever overcome it. May 
our light so shine that others may see your glory, O Lord, and thus come into a saving relationship with you. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For service times or more information on St. Richard's, please visit strichards.org.